little ones or husbands who act like little ones, um, then there's our printable that we put out that Jen and Deb produce every week for our little ones that you just need a pack of crayons and uh, they can be engaged in the same scriptures and themes that we're dealing with throughout this sermon series. So it's kind of cool. If you you have all the emails, you have like the entire run now through the Old Testament of activities for your little ones. That's kind of awesome. And today we move into uh, the New Testament portion of our Bible, and we'll be looking at the book of Matthew. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but several other things going on around here. Uh, First of all, this week, if you get the text message reminders from the, our membership portal, then as you read through this week, you will read through uh, basically the sections of the book of Matthew from Jesus' birth up until his death on Good Friday. And so that'll be kind of a cool trajectory if you want to follow that this week. Um, just read the verses or the passages that, are, that come to you by text and you'll have kind of a, a feel for the flow of his life and ministry and his teaching, and then the events of his death as they are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so I encourage you to avail yourself of that opportunity. Um, we have our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study, Tuesday nights at 7 on this same Zoom channel. So feel free to Zoom in and join us there. We will be uh, studying the Gospel of Matthew this week. So that should be good. Um, Then youth group, tonight at 6, right here. uh, We meet in either outside or in a socially distanced manner. And we are studying uh, the the first two chapters of the book of Acts, as well as the uh, dynamics of beehives and how bees uh, relate to each other, communicate, nourish, etc., and we're going to tie that in in the Youth Summer Sermon Series uh, to the scriptures in the first two chapters of the book of Acts, and that series will be called The Hive, or we could call it, like, Be a Christian. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a buzz to it. Yeah. All right. Oh, no, I can't. I can't, honey. I just got to leave it alone. I know. All right. I, I wax nostalgic sometimes. So, Yeah. All right. Oh, no, don't get Jimmy started on the bee puns. We'll be here all day. Two shows nightly. Don't forget to tip your wait staff. Jimmy Townsend on the bee puns. Um, so Easter Sunday, we're going to... Uh, have a sunrise service. I need to emphasize this. If you come for the sunrise service, that counts. That counts as your church for the day, for Easter Sunday. Um, And I'm not trying to scare you away from our 1015 worship service, but we are trying to kind of spread out the number of people that are here at the same time. The sunrise service will be outside, weather permitting, and so you should be able to come... uh, (coughs) And safely worship at 7.15 a.m. on Easter. <coughs> Did I say 7.15 a.m.? On Easter. That's, that's the miracle is, is if I get here by, you know, then. So, um, 
but Easter Sunday morning at 7.15, we'll have a worship service outside, weather permitting, and then uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a little bit of uh, breakfast items there afterwards that will be done, again, outside, and then we'll have the 10.15 worship service that will be Zoomed. So um, that's the plan. At the 1015 worship service, we are going to have a children's chat, and then we are going to dismiss the kids that can walk or who are in fifth grade or younger uh, to the outdoor. We'll have, a, we'll have a covering on the patio, uh, not, the, not the new one, but an old one. Um, but we'll have a cup, some shade on the patio. We'll have some tables outside. We'll have a Hope for Kids craft, Easter-themed craft outside on Easter Sunday, followed by, at 11.45, there will be a frantic free-for-all Easter egg hunt uh, out around our wildflower. We've, we've got one. I, I, I actually, I couldn't believe it, went out there. We have three now? Oh, come on. We'll cut two down. I need one wildflower. That's what I promised. I promised one, at least one wildflower. Um, but uh, we'll have a, a, a pretty substantial Easter egg hunt. I would recommend, instead of bringing, like, an Easter basket, like a pillowcase. I'm just saying, right? Easter baskets, they're just not reliable. Yes, ma'am. We will, have, we will provide the baskets, so never mind. Yeah, don't bring a pillowcase. Unless you want to put it over your brother's head and then go collect Easter eggs. Yeah. Yes, sir. So we are thinking the sunrise service will be on the other edge of the property underneath the big oak tree that's over there. Um, and we, I will send out some reminders and some details this week. Um, but we think that's going to be where we hold the service if we're, if we're on the western edge of the property, we ought to be able to see the, the eastern sunrise a little bit better. So that's the idea, and it's, plus it's pretty over there. So, um, All right. Any other questions, comments, snide remarks? Okay, so Saturday morning at 9.30, we could use some help uh, just cleaning up the area where the kids are going to be hunting Easter eggs and doing some other sprucing up of... The property, Carl Trim. We're gonna, we're gonna, we think we're gonna put up the big tent, and that may devolve into the pop-ups. We'll see, but that's the idea. All right. Um, and then after Easter, well, so two other things. Uh, if you, there are some. There's a box next to the table in the middle of the aisle. Um, that uh, has some Easter egg shells in it. If you would like to take a couple dozen of those home, you may, and uh, fill them and bring them back next week uh, before the service, and we will throw them out in the grass, and kids can find them later. Um, uh, right now, there's a bunch of filled, give them to Scott, or there's the children's ministry classroom one, two. That's the place. Um, all right. What else? Okay. We are in the process. We have volunteers that have background checks and are ready to go for Easter Sunday to, to do Hope for Kids. 
but we are going to stage this back to what it was slowly, take our time, and we're going to rebuild it according to how many volunteers we have. So if we only have like, you know, four adults who sign up to be Hope for Kids teachers, uh, then we're just going to do that one Sunday a month. If we have eight, we'll do it twice. If we have 12, we'll do it three times. We have, when we're back to full volunteer rotation, we'll be back to every Sunday. So we need you to sign up to contact Deb by email and let her know you're interested in volunteering either in the nursery or in the children's ministry. And she will give you the, the link to run your background check. Uh, we, do, we do this now online. You do it through our insurance company's website. And you just enter your personal information. And then they send the report to Jen. I'm sorry, to Deb. And then we've got your background check completed. And you're clear to volunteer in our children's ministry. So encourage you, if you are ready to volunteer or you think you may be ready, contact Deb. And let's say, let's say you don't get your second vaccine until the 1st of May. And you're like, I really don't want to do any children's ministry until I've had my second vaccine. So we'll, we'll t let Deb know that you're ready to go in June. And we'll put you on the schedule and we'll increase the number of Sundays that we can offer Hope for Kids. All right? Any questions? All right. I think, so we have after Easter, we're going to have a... Women's crawfish boil, is that correct? Is, am I reading this correctly? Okay. So the men of hope are going to cook for the women of hope, and uh, that will be your night for fellowship and enjoyment, but you won't have to do any work. We'll, we'll cook and clean up, and you can just hang outside with each other and have some fellowship, and uh, it'll be sort of like what we do for our men's night, but for our women and encourage you to mark your calendars. That's Friday, April the 9th at 7 o'clock right here, but it'll be outside. All right? That's what's going on around here as far as I know. Let's pray. God, our loving Father, we come before you as we open your word. We ask that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning through your holy word and by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that we would leave here changed as a result of having met you and worshipped you through your word this morning. And Lord, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We ask that you would pour out your healing mercies upon your people. Uh, we uh, continue to lift up Troy Gibson and his recovery from a broken leg. We uh, lift up Judy Harrell as she recovers from a medical procedure on Friday. Uh, we lift up, there was Sean Lester as he recovers from surgery on his shoulder. Uh, and we lift up all of those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures. We pray you would pour out your healing mercies upon them. Lord, we lift up uh, this country and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up those who serve to protect and defend uh, our Constitution at every 
level. And we pray, Father, that you would keep them safe and watch over them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, that we, and we ask that you would bring them home safely. We ask that you would be with their families, uh, for those who serve and are separated from their loved ones, uh, be close to both ends of those families as they are apart, and bring them back together in beautiful ways. And Lord, we pray for those who have returned home from their service to our country changed, and we pray your healing mercies upon them. And we pray that you would use us to minister your grace and your love and your peace and your healing to them. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of our missionaries that we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them this week, that you would use them to share the light of your love and grace in those faraway places. And Lord, we pray you would be with us now. By the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are in a series of messages called Run Through the Bible. And in this series, we started in the book of Genesis. And we've just been like cruising through up till now the Old Testament and looking at the kind of the major sections of the Old Testament and kind of getting an overview of that content of our Bible. And the main, the main connecting thread has been the promise of God to his people. He made that promise to Adam and Eve. He repeated that promise to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, and so on. And we've kind of followed that thread uh, through the Old Testament and the lives of, of the saints in those times. And we saw a lot of sort of interesting developments throughout that trajectory. For example, at one point, God's people cry out that they want a king to lead them. And they want a political leader. And God sort of shakes his head and he tells his prophet, go ahead. Go ahead, Samuel, give them a king, anoint a king for them, and they will see. They will see that having authority rest in a single human being is probably not a great idea. And so King Saul is anointed as king, and this period of Israel's history begins. And it turns out after some, I don't know, 40-some-odd kings in a divided nation, uh, like four or five of them rule well as godly men, and the rest of it is just a disaster, and God's people just descend into chaos and sin, and God says, I can't let you live in my city, in my presence, this way, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have another nation take over Jerusalem, raise it to the ground, and carry away all its wealth, all its intelligence, everything that matters and leave it in ruins. And so that happens, and the exile occurs, and God's people are carried off into foreign lands, and the, this promise keeps reemerging through his prophets. And so at every interval in the Old Testament, we see this, this promise of God reemerging in brighter and newer expressions, and then there's about a 450-year gap 
where there's nothing. There's no Bible, there's no prophet, there's no hope, really. And then uh, a man is born that we know as John the Baptist. And he begins to announce the promise is being fulfilled in our lifetime. And then Jesus is born, and he grows up and steps into that mantle of fulfillment of that promise. And we're going to look at how the author Matthew, the gospel author Matthew, Uh, sets forward that fulfillment, that idea that Jesus came to fulfill this promise. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. This is going to be a little bit of an overview of the Gospel of Matthew with some key points that we'll stop in along the way. Um, Matthew was, Matthew's an interesting person. Uh, he, He was a tax collector He was one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles. Um, He knew Jesus very well. He was Jewish, but as a tax collector, you're kind of in a strange position. You're you're working for the foreign occupying political government to take money from your own people and give it to Rome. And so you have to be a little bit, you, you have to be fully Jewish to have that job. Like you have to speak the language and know the culture and know the community. But you can't be too Jewish or you, wouldn't, you would hate the Romans. And so Matthew comes from a perspective where he had kind of maybe given up on the promise of God. And he had kind of sold himself over to the enemy. And then Jesus comes along and sees him and says, follow me. And everything changes for Matthew. And so this is the gospel from the perspective of a man who's been changed, who who started off kind of Jew-ish and came about to a conclusion that God had indeed fulfilled his promise to send the Messiah And he had fulfilled it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as you read the Gospel of Matthew, you will see this theme of fulfillment, this idea that that Jesus is the new king who will fulfill all the promises of God in in the Jewish Bible. And so let's let's start here at the beginning of, of the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read you the first verse in just a second. But the first section of the Gospel of Matthew is really about introducing the new king. So, behold the new king. If That's, that's the them, thematic connection in the first, really, three or four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the new David. So, behold the new king, behold the new David. Matthew 1, verse 1, this is right, he's right out of the box, he's going there. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is a very strong and intentional statement. What did God promise to Abraham? Among the promises that God made to Abraham, he said, through you, I will bless all nations. And so Matthew says, this is the one. 
And not only is he a descendant of Abraham, he's a son of David. He's a new king. He comes from a, uh, a lineage of kings. And so, right out of the box, he, he gives this genealogy. And then you see Matthew begin to be concerned with the fact that Jesus has come to fulfill the word of God. So, behold the new David. Behold the new Moses. This is another theme you will see in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I want you to just think for a minute about the parallels between Moses and Jesus as Matthew lays them out in his gospel. So, Moses, Pharaoh tried to kill Moses when he was an infant. He issued a decree to kill all the infants, the male infants of Jewish mothers in infancy. Herod tried to kill Jesus as an infant. To flee, and we'll, I'll just read that verse right now, Matthew 2, 14 through 15, when Herod went to issue the order of executing all the babies in Bethlehem, in and around Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph headed out, because an angel told them, they headed out towards the Sinai, towards Egypt. All right? Listen to this, Matthew 2, verses 14 and 15. And he rose, that's Joseph, the father of Jesus, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So Moses came out of Egypt. Jesus came out of Egypt. Uh, the parallels continue uh, there are some people who, who look at the literary structure of Matthew and they see an introduction, five literary bodies, and then a conclusion. And those five literary segments in the Gospel of Matthew are considered by some to be a reflection of the five books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, uh, you know, sometimes those connections are a little hard to prove, but... There's plenty of other material here. Uh, Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness because of his sin. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness resisting the temptation of sin. Uh, Moses saves God's people through the waters of the Red Sea. Jesus saves God's, people's, God's people through the waters of baptism. There's, there's a water connection. There's a Jordan connection. Moses leads God's people up to the Jordan River. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. Um, Jesus, so Moses receives God's word on a mountain. Jesus proclaims God's word in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that phrase before. Uh, proclaims God's word from a mountain. Um, let's see. Manna and quail can be related to loaves and fishes, the feeding of people. Um, the Lord's Supper is clearly, it's a Passover Seder. And Jesus is saying, this is my blood. This is my body. Uh, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And it is his death for our sin that allows us to enter God's eternal rest. And if you remember... God's people were not allowed to enter the rest of Canaan until Moses had died. And so there are all of these, like, 
very intentional connections between Jesus and Moses that Matthew is establishing to say not only is he the new David, he is also the new Moses. And we are to behold the new paradigm that is ushered in in the person of Christ, and that is that God is with us. So think about this. God's people had not had a prophet for 400-some-odd years. There had not been a prophet in Israel. No, no word other than what was already established. Uh, no real sense that God was moving in their presence, in their history anymore. And here comes John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Read the, listen to this verse in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So suddenly, in the history of redemption, something has changed. That God is no longer restricted, if you will, to, to the holy of holies as the place of his presence. He's out of the box. He's walking around. He's moving, he's healing, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's loving, he is leading God's people to a new truth. This is clearly, in Matthew's mind, the new king, the new David, the new Moses, who is setting before God's people a new paradigm that God is again with them. We are not only to behold the king, we are to hear the king, the next thing that Matthew does is he, he lays out a three-chapter block of Jesus' teaching. We call this the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this is a really fascinating to read as, as you look at what Jesus is doing. And he will, he will repeatedly, he'll, he'll quote one of the Ten Commandments. He'll say, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if you just hate someone in your heart, it's, it's as bad as murder. And so everyone listening has to be going, oh, wow, that's tough. And not only that, but they're also hearing someone who is reinterpreting God's word with authority. And we'll, we'll talk about that. So we are not only to behold the new king, we are to hear the new king uh, we're to hear his new ethic, that this is about the heart. It's about your heart. Jesus is recasting Mosaic law, and at one point in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is setting forth a new way of understanding God's law, that it's really about the heart. And this isn't new, right? We've heard the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But it had been lost, and God's people were just following the rules, they were lost in the, in the 
mire of trying to be uh, obedient. And Jesus comes along and says, it's about your heart. That's what God cares about. And so there's this new ethic and there's a new purpose in his preaching. Matthew 5, 17, that purpose is fulfillment, by the way. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And you see an intentionality that Matthew is pulling out and setting forward before his readers, an intentionality in Jesus, in his purpose, in his mission, in him understanding that he is here to fulfill all the promises of God. And so we have his new ethic, his new purpose, and we are to see his new authority, which is divine. And, and this is where it's important to note the Sermon on the Mount isn't actually so much about what Jesus taught. It's about how he taught. It's about the, the, the gumption that it took to say, you've heard one of the Ten Commandments. I'm here to tell you it's bigger than that. Right? No one had spoken like this in the history of Judaism up until Jesus. And so he expresses this divine authority. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. This is the, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So a lot of Jewish teaching at this time, they would, they would read a passage, and then the teacher would just ask questions. You know, not like, what do you think about it, but um, more, more textual-based questions, and sort of lead people to think more deeply about their Bible. And Jesus comes along, and he's like, let me, let me just flip this thing. Let me totally change the way you look at Scripture. Let me drill down to your heart and get past your head and really look at what's going on inside of you because that's what matters the most. And the people who heard him were just simply in awe at not just what he said, but the way that he said it. And so we have this new king, we have this uh, that we are to behold, and we have this new king that we are to hear, and we have this new king that we are to accept. This next section of the Gospel of Matthew is really aimed at accepting the Jesus as he is presenting himself in his years of ministry. So, <clears throat> We're to accept this king by a new standard. And it's, this is uh, hard for us to fully grasp how radical this statement is. Uh, in the ancient world, no one respected children. They didn't have rights. They didn't have, uh, they were just either in the way or expected to get out there and work to contribute to the family's well-being. Um, and along comes Jesus, and he says this, which is really hard to 
state how radical of a, of a teaching this is. Matthew 11, verses 25 through 28, this new standard that Jesus is setting, that we are to accept him as a child would. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you will see as you read through verses or chapters in this section of the Gospel of Matthew, you will see a variety of ways in which people uh, respond to Jesus. The poor, the destitute, the sick, they all accept him. The religious establishment, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they all summarily reject him. And then you see some rather odd, neutral responses, like John the Baptist, of all people, sends a messenger to Jesus, like, are you him? Are you the guy? Are you the one? And Jesus is like, dude, I'm your cousin. <laughs> like, I think you should know this. Didn't your mother tell you about the dream and the angel and the, the visit with my mom? And did, haven't you not heard all of this? And John the Baptist is just fascinating. He's not sure. He spent, he spent his entire adult life proclaiming the coming of the new Messiah, and he's not sure. Like, John, to take off your camel hair coat and go sit down at Jesus' feet. He's the one. Um, so this idea that Matthew is, is setting forward in this section of his, his work is that, that we are to accept this, this Jesus, this new king. We are to accept him with the faith of a child. Then we are to understand him. The next couple of sections of the Gospel of Matthew are dedicated to this idea that we are dealing with someone that is different, that needs to be first accepted in the heart, and then we try to understand and assimilate what he's saying and what he's doing. This, this new understanding of the new king uh, involves the, the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom that he is establishing, that those who are at the top of the power and authority structure in the world will be at the bottom of the power and authority structure in Jesus' new kingdom. And so here, listen to this, that his followers, that's us, we are to be servants who are willing to suffer and sacrifice for others. We're not to lord it over them as the Gentiles do, which is the verse right before the one we're about to read. Matthew 21, 25 through 28, Jesus called them to him and said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a new 
reality. It's a new understanding. It's a new beginning for people who had lost hope, who had lost any sense that justice would be served in this world, who had suffered abuse and neglect and starvation. And Jesus comes along and says, you will be first because of me. This new understanding of the new king means that his followers are to serve, suffer, and sacrifice. Uh, and and I'll, I'll just, this isn't in your outline, I don't think, but the contrast to that, he goes into his enemies, and he, his enemy is hypocrisy. His enemy, he talks about this constantly when he, when he relates to the Pharisees. Uh, he calls them hypocrites, vipers, uh, you know, tombs that are clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. Um, that is the contrast that he is setting forth. But then I want to move to his mission, which is salvation and blessing. Listen to these words in Matthew chapter 21. This is, this is I'm sorry, this is the scene that we derive Palm Sunday from, all right? So Jesus has gathered this following of misfits around him, people who were sick or handicapped or uh, impoverished, and he's given them healing and hope and a place to belong. And they all know that he is different. That he, they have accepted him in some way. They're not fully sure what's going to happen. But he comes riding in to Jerusalem on the Sunday prior to Passover. And this is what happens. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna simply means save us. Um, or the one who saves if you use it as a per, in reference to a person. But this crowd understood. They didn't understand how he was going to accomplish his mission. But they knew that his mission was one of salvation and blessing. And they proclaimed that, ironically, uh, just days before uh, they chanted for his execution. So here we are. Matthew sets before us a new king to behold, a new king to listen to, a new king to accept, a new king to understand. And then he moves us through the crucifixion story and toward the end of his gospel to this idea that we are to spread the love of the new king. And I'm going to save most of the verses about the crucifixion and resurrection for next week out of the gospel of Mark, I believe. Most of them will come. Uh, but for now, just understand, Jesus takes his disciples to a, an upper room where they have dinner, and Jesus sets out this, the traditional Jewish Seder meal, and he holds up the bread. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it and eat. And then after supper, 
there's a there's a there's a traditional cup that is held up by the leader of the meal after the supper is eaten, and it's called the cup of redemption. And this is uh, literally in every devout Jewish home today, like this day, yesterday, last night, and tonight, this cup will be held up by the leader of that table, and they will say, behold, the cup of redemption. That's the cup that Jesus was holding when he said, this is my blood, which is given for you. Take it and drink. That his body and blood would bring redemption to the souls of God's people. It was a very intentional, I am the Passover lamb. Uh, I will redefine death and reestablish hope in the hearts of God's people. So we are to spread the love of this new king. And I want to read you, this is, this is, so do you think of first century people as sophisticated? No, right? Um, they had all kinds of weird beliefs that, that we now have science for. Um, and uh, we don't consider them terribly sophisticated. But I want you to see something in this work, this gospel of Matthew, as a, as a masterpiece of literature and as a very intentional action on the part of Matthew who's he's trying to tell us something so do you remember the first verse we read I'll read it again real quick the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham so the last passage in the gospel of Matthew goes like this now The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's just review this for a second. Um, First of all, we are to love and spread the love of Jesus in spite of our shortcomings. The fact that there are only 11 apostles at this point is quite important and telling and astonishing that Jesus, the Son of God, would have an imperfect, incomplete number of followers after his death. He's down to 11. He had 12, one for each tribe. He's down to 11. And he's going to take this incomplete amassing of human beings and totally transform the world. And not only were they 11, but what does it say after it says they worshipped him? And some doubted. (laughs) I want you to think about that for a minute. They are standing before someone they saw crucified, who was laid in a tomb and was dead. And on the third day, he rose again. 
walked with them, he ate with them, he taught them, he led them. They come together in their hometown and some of them doubted. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. Um, I'm not going to say that I have like, um, like the big doubt with a capital D as it relates to God. I'm, I've got that one down pretty good. He's, he's proven himself to me enough. I'm good there. But on the day-to-day level, do I doubt God? Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. Um, do I snatch back from him those things that I want to be in control of that I don't want to trust him to do? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, and so I think that's the first takeaway from this last concluding passage in Matthew. This is, this is who we are. We are incomplete, full of doubt, And God is going to use that group of people to literally change the world. Folks, we're still talking about this guy. He's still alive. He's still relevant. He's still here. He's still changing hearts and lives for eternity. So let's make sure we don't miss that. And let's make sure that we don't miss verse 18 Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has authority? Jesus, a king, right? He's not talking about political authority. He's talking about eternal spiritual authority. He is the new David. Matthew, when he started the book, he said, son of Abraham, son of David. As he ends the book, he's nailing down this truth that he bears the authority of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Who did God say something about all nations to? Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Who brought God's commandments to God's people previously? Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. And so you see Matthew, a a first century author, who he hasn't, he's not published before this, right? This is his first book. And he ties the two ends together masterfully. It really is an astonishing level of sophistication that is only really the function of the inspiration of God. Matthew got it. He is literally saying, yeah, I once was just kind of born into a Jewish culture, But now I I personally know the Jewish Messiah. I've been changed. And this man, is it's a radical new reality. And then to complete Matthew's uh, thematic content, Jesus, the last words of the Gospel of Matthew, last verse, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Emmanuel, 
God is with us. Matthew is, is making sure that you understand. He's the new David. He's the new Moses. He's the new Abraham. He is God with us that never will leave us nor forsake us. We have a Savior who has come. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at how you wove a promise throughout redemptive history toward a single person, the person of God the Son, Jesus Christ, that he would come to fulfill all that you had set before your people, all of their hopes, all of their needs. Lord, that you provided for us through him, through his sacrifice, you taught us to be a people who sacrifice. Through his suffering, you taught us to be a people who are willing to suffer. Through his service, you taught us to be a people who serve. Lord, that we would behold and listen to and accept and understand this new king and that we would share his love with everyone around us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us to be the people who spread your grace in this dark and hurting world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.